because as the celebrations get louder and louder, it doesn't assuage or absolve in any way the actual sense of, of real guilt that people are feeling. And the only the only actual absolution comes through the absolver, you know, through the proclamation, the, the acceptance of Jesus for, for your sin. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Yeah, great, Nick. Well, you guys, I think this might be my last episode. After seeing Top Gun Maverick last night, I'm, I'm off to join the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I heard it was really good. I haven't seen it yet, but I hear it's, I hear it's great. It's really fun. You know, it's just a, a nostalgia delivery machine, but that's that's all I want out of a Tom Cruise movie anymore. You know, watching Tom Cruise do the Tom Cruise sprint in full flight gear through the show yeah. is worth the price of admission. <laughs> and you were saying that he that he uh, he actually has aged, right? at least in the first part of the movie. He has seemingly aged. He does a sort of a welcome introduction to the film before it actually starts. And he seemingly chose to do this with no makeup on. And he looks like a relatively older man. I mean, not like Clint Eastwood old, but a little bit older. But then once, of course, Pete Mitchell Maverick steps on the screen, he looks like he looked like in 1986 when the first movie came out. I'm glad to hear that. I was like Dorian Gray type thing. <laughs> there might actually yeah. be some truth to that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, what happened to the Kelly McGillis? Wasn't there some sort of feud? Like she wasn't in it, right? No, uh, she's then, not in it. I don't know. Uh, what happened? Was she? Well, she became Jennifer Connolly, which in my opinion is a significant upgrade. <laughs> but then, but they did have some sort of cameo by uh, Val Kilmer, right? Yes, Val Kilmer, who is you know very sick and can't speak, and it's a it's a moving scene both for Maverick's relationship with Iceman and indeed Tom Cruise's relationship with Val Kilmer. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's sad a great thing. movie. It's a it's a classic. Well, you guys, I think we owe a couple of apologies at the top of the show this week. Um, it's been two weeks since we last recorded, but in our last show, we accidentally made some remarks that were uh, taken as insults by some chaplains that we love, and we love chaplaincy work. And so we thought that we would just go ahead and start this show with a perhaps a little clarification and apology toward the beloved chaplains in our ranks. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, we were talking about we've with all the various uh, things we've covered over the past couple of years, it's the first show we've had not one but two things to apologize for. So it's a, it's very humbling, but we should just reiterate, and I've reached out personally to some people and said this um, uh, directly, that um, the distinction we were attempting to make uh, was was uh, clear in our heads and, and perhaps not in our words about the the, the sort of chaplaincy model that Matt was ex explicating, you know, that was explicitly taught, you know, which is sort of um, not a faithful, biblical, courageous uh, chaplain that we know and love in our ACNA and beyond. And so um, we certainly didn't mean to demean or disparage the uh, the, the good and necessary work, uh, which is distinct in some ways from other uh, pastoral work of, of uh, chaplaincy. Um, and anyway, to mean that, we, we, we apologize if that was the implication, because uh, we really were just speaking to a model that was more of a hand-holding, well, what Matt was describing, kind of universalistic, cynical take on... If someone's um, dying without knowing Jesus, that's just right. be sure they're comfortable and don't... Right, like don't, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's a, and again, and I think there obviously there's a, there's an art form to the pastoral art form to a chaplain that takes into account all of the various 
opportunities and challenges that the death and dying in particular present. And, you know, I'm not super well-trained in that and I'm grateful that people are, and I look forward to receiving the ministrations, <laughs> you know, not, not immediately, uh, hopefully. Um, although we've got plenty of life insurance now, so, uh, you know, at any rate, I am, um, but I'm grateful that there are people who have been called specifically to the ministry of uh, shepherding and, chap- uh, and being a chaplain for people in their time of death and bereavement. So thank God. Um, and so we apologize wholeheartedly. Uh, we should, we sense. should, uh, yes, uh, we should also, we should also say that coming from the Episcopal Church, our minds are focused, uh, <laughs> we're have been focused from the beginning of our ministries anyway, on two viable seminaries for Orthodox people. That's right. so, traditionally, they had been traditionally had been vi- viable seminaries for Orthodox people, Trinity and Neshota House. And if you're coming up in the Episcopal Church, you're, you, there's, you are not allowed to even think about REC seminaries. So when we were talking about, uh, about viable seminaries and some maybe possibilities of the, the two, Neshota House and Trinity, maybe uh, losing some of their luster lately. Uh, we did not mention, as we should have, uh, the REC uh, seminaries as not only viable, but but really, really good um, options for Anglicans wanting to get uh, a specifically Anglican uh, seminary education. So, uh, yep, that was an oversight too. Yep, uh, apologize. It was not intentional. It takes a minute for, for me to think, oh, there's REC seminaries too, because I just and hopefully, I, all my career have not been thinking about that. Yeah. That's right, and I hope and I hope and pray and trust that as the the ACNA matures, um, that the the gift, the real gift of the REC as a founding, I don't know what technically it would be a, a jurisdiction or or the that their their entry into the ACNA we consider to be an, a wonderful gift to the ACNA, and I think they're. Uh, leavening, positive leaven, uh, as it sort of spreads through the ACNA, will only be to the good. Um, I mean, almost without exception, I think it is without exception, the, the REC ministers that I've met who are now part of the ACNA are thoughtful and courageous and faithful and, um, you know, uh, just are just wonderful um, and, and exciting and uh, colleagues that I'm grateful to to call, you know, brothers in arms. And so- Except for, except for that Drew Collins guy. Not <laughs> but the rest of them are all right. Well, that's right. Uh, but anyway, we um, we are learning uh, to, to we, we're, we're, this is a perfect example of, um, of our own maturation as ACNA uh, ministers, you know, as uh, coming out of what we, what we, the only world we knew and into the one that we're, we're watching develop before our eyes. And we look forward to, to hopefully not offending anyone in, in the future uh, specifically, but to learning more and to enjoying more this, the, the breadth and the depth of this, um, of this relationship now that we have in ACNA with the REC. Well, now that, our apologies are out of the way. We can move on to our t- topic this week, which is something that perhaps others should be apologizing for, which is Pride Month. Um, although I did see, you know, I saw a chart of all the LGBTQ2 plus A plus visibility days and remembrance weeks and so forth. And it seems like more and more Pride Month is just a drop in the bucket. And uh, for didn't instance, we say this like last year that it was, yeah. didn't we call this, it was going to become pride year. I mean, I think well, we, the, the, the year of the never ending pride. The, the theater parade. chain I was at last night to watch Top Gun wanted to be sure that I knew that they celebrated pride month, quote, this month and every month. So there you have it. <laughs> I'm wondering though, if pride month is about to jump the shark 
because the messaging just gets more and more ridiculous every year and more and more people seem to be noticing and pointing out how over the top it's become. And so (laughs) I wonder, before we talk about pride and Christianity and how pride is indeed one of the fundamental sins that we must confess and mortify as believers, what's the most egregious Pride Month show that you've seen this year, the most over the top signal that you've seen? Well, I mean, the, I mean, okay. So there's always we could we could talk for ages about the the trans, the T of the LGBTQ beginning to just gobble up the other <laughs> the other letters, right? Because if you, um, because if you have if trans is included in the LGBT, then uh, the B, I'm mean, sorry, the 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 gay and the lesbian begin to lose meaning I mean, is it did you take away from the if you have if, because lesbian and gay is, is grounded in a binary understanding of sexuality right. and you have and you do to, to their credit there are there are um activists you know uh sort of gay self self-described gay and lesbian activists who see this very clearly yeah. and are very yeah. upset about it um right. there's no question about that um so not sorry, to no, mention that the letter p actually stands for a shortened of the word binary oh yeah bisexual right Bi- yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, we could go, we could talk about that. I mean, to just see egregious things about uh, trans, um, trans uh, uh, people, bathrooms, drag queen dancing in front of children, those kinds of things are just terrible and egregious. But I thought one of the interesting things was uh, was recently, a CNN, I think it was last week, or no, it was this week, CNN uh, puts out an article about five baseball players i think in the tampa bay rays right yeah, i saw that so, uh and and the the headline is that the five players will not wear their their rainbow patch on their uniform and it was like it was like reporting some egregious act like, like there, there's who are who are these insane people who are not willing to put on the mark of the beast and wear and bow down to the image we've made? And and, the, and it, it, I, to their credit, to Stephen's credit, they did, they did quote the, the uh, they included the reasoning behind not wearing the patches on the part of the people who didn't, and they were very clear about their faith in Jesus Christ, and they don't want to they don't want to they, they can't in good conscience. Uh, in any way support um, behaviors they, they considered to be um, sinful. So I mean, I thought I thought it was really good that that was included. But the but the headline and the tenor of the of the article seemed to cross yet another line that that, that just it's not good enough. Um, it's not good enough that there are people who are celebrating pride and who are walk, walking in parades and that the gay people are now uh, the LGBT people are now fully integrated mainstream in society. You better, you better, right. you better celebrate. You I better do think do though that even in that case is is sort of an example of that jumping the shark idea that I was referring to mm-hmm. because I do think that last year there would have been calls for those players to be suspended or mm-hmm. they would have had to issue apologies. And it does seem like this year, even in that article, it's specifically perhaps even grudgingly they reported that it was not going to divide the clubhouse, which is I think I, I think something the- relatively new. I think the reason for that is because the uh, the the sports, um, you know, I, I think I think the in the inclusion of uh, quote unquote trans athletes in sports, particularly the men who are competing against women, and all of the 
publicity that that has gotten and their incredible success in almost every single arena that they've entered, um, I think has struck a, you know, the, if Americans are united by anything, it was a deep sense of sort of, you know, fairness, or at least we, we think we are, you know, we want it to be fair, which is in part why all of the outrage over history and the, and the various, you know, um, arguments about our past and our present or future, but it seems to be so clearly unfair to have a fully grown man who just decides to identify as a woman compete against women that I think that's what's beginning to sort of make people question um, the entire the entire concept I think I mean I could be wrong and but the images seems... are so stark like the the well, Lee the, Thomas the... images and the cycling did you see this recent photograph of the winner's stand of a cycling race with the two trans yep. men identifying as women in first and second kissing while the third place woman is caring for her infant. It's just like yeah. everything in microcosm right there. Yeah, it's true. Are the, um, the, the man that's uh, playing rugby, have you seen, or the, yeah. uh, in Australia, he's <laughs> like, it's like literally a foot and a half taller than like every other person. And um, it's, and so I don't know, maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, it seems, it does seem um, with the, with the prevalence and almost the universal uh kind of messaging that we see, you know, from Target to Sperry Topsiders to Burger King to whatever, that there is a certain desperation to make people believe it, you know, because I think that is if uh, usually if something is so self-evident and so obvious, there's not such a fervor to have to um, to insist. Right. right. I mean, and like we've... it leads to the eye rolling like, oh, I have to order my Whopper with two tops or two. But you bottoms. see, this is like... precisely what Vaclav Havel uh, yeah. pointed out in the Greengrocer, um, you know, that, that Rod Dreher picks up on in his book, Living Out by Laws. He says, you know, most of the people just um, sort of reluctantly put up a, a party um uh, flag or whatever fluid just because they didn't want to be hassled, you know, and so but eventually uh, they were sort of outed as not being true believers. And that's when things got violent, you know, and I think there's where people like, you know, how many people are wearing jerseys metaphorically or literally um, in their own workplace who don't really believe it, like are sort of uncomfortable with it. And and the danger to that is that, as again, Sultan Eason points out, I'm getting a lot of this from Dreyer's book, but that you you begin to, to the, to the degree that you begin to embrace and confess as it were a lie, you know, you begin to weaken your, your soul. Like you begin to weaken your, your, your grip on reality, because, you know, if you begin to, to actually just say, well, even though I don't believe in this, and even though I don't think it's right, and even though down the line, I'm still going to do it. Well, that has ramifications that begin to poison um, the rest of your life, you know, your relationships, the, the other things that you supposedly care about, and it begins to to weaken your grip on reality. Because if you can lie to yourself at such a fundamental level, well, then what are what else are you lying to yourself about? You know, what else are you not being honest with yourself or your family or friends about? And it's very dangerous. You know, this is this is something Liza and I have been talking about a lot because, you know, Jordan Peterson had been picking on this years ago. You know, this is part of how he got in a fight. He's like, I don't care what, um, you know, up in Canada years before us, he was like one of the, the main presenting issue was you can't make me say something I don't believe. Like that's what free speech is. And so 
but I'm afraid that in the midst of all of this uh, fear, you know, most people don't want to get in fights. Most people are genuinely, you know, at least want to be kind. So they don't want to offend people. Most people have a certain lives, live and let live uh, mentality, you know. Um, and and so therefore, I think um, this this affirmation that's being demanded, as you pointed out, Matt, is really threatening people's um, uh, threatening to to erode something vital and important about what it means to be a human in, in, in a lot of people. I mean, that's a, that's a heavy statement, but I, I think it's true. I also think, I mean, going back to, to the question, I also think that the, the kids stuff really does really yes. begin. I mean, when, when you, when the pictures came out this last week, this last weekend, was it with, of the, of the trans, I'm sorry, of the, uh, of the drag queen. Oh yeah. Drag your kids to <laughs> pride is what the, yeah, the title yeah. of the event was drag yeah. your kids. to. I mean, and then they had, little kids and little girls looking at you know men who are dressed up like women gyrating and dancing Putting money in their underwear <laughs> can I we mean, take a second i mean yeah just take a second to <laughs> answer a question that i cannot believe has to be asked but i am seeing allegedly smart people on twitter actually asking what's the big deal with putting drag in front of children why is that bad I'm I, I'm flabbergasted. I haven't seen that. Are, are these are these Christian people asking that question? No, not Christian people, but okay, normal people. Okay, well, people. I mean, before what five minutes ago, our culture recognized that that the children have a period in time in their life anyway where, where they shouldn't be exposed to overtly sexual content well this is the um, claim is that there's some yeah. separation between drag and sex which of course i think we reject i think but... i've seen that I, I don't know what they're i don't know what kind of separation they're trying to draw but but the whole point of drag is look here's a boy here's a man dressed as a woman so it inherently has a sexualized content he's he, this this man is is moving his hips he's moving he's he's dancing he's, he's often he's simulating sex simulating acts. sexual activity acts in front of and, and that so it's inherently sexual it's inherently erotic um whether or not it's, it's there's people are laughing and joking i know that they, they, they try to make a comedy out of it it doesn't it's still erotic it's erotica it's like uh it's like the what are those things in germany during the weimar republic it's like oh. cabaret you know it's it could, cabaret can be funny but it's it's clearly it's clearly intentionally erotic right i mean so, high heels and stockings and bustier yeah. are sexual accoutrement yeah and, and what you're doing is your help what, what it does is it helps a child uh lose touch with the sexual binary i mean that's the whole that's point right. of it i think yeah you want you want a kid to not to not identify him, himself in in hard terms as a male or a female you want the kid to think well what am i uh, maybe I, you know, this this person swaggering uh, well, around on the stage with no clothes on is getting a lot of applause and a lot of attention. I want attention and applause, so let me try that. But this is, and this is an explicit uh, move by sort of the the statists, the 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 sort of proto totalitarians, because if you break down, so the binary, the the gender binary, then prioritizes and protects the procreative nature of sexual activity, which is then contained to the to the family structure. You know, the family is seen as the fundamental building block of a society, and then therefore, you know, you learn about what it means to be a citizen, to love your neighbor. You know, by sitting around a dinner table. You know, you learn about um, risk and reward and all the things. 
Well, if you break down the binary and then you you sort of undergird or undercut then that that idea of the family is the fundamental unit of civilization, well, then something or someone or some group has to come in to to uh, order your society, as it were. And there are multinationals and and you know people in power who who have uh, are, are re- all too willing and ready to assume the responsibility for uh, the, sh- you know, the shepherding of, of the people. And, uh, and, and this is an explicit move that we've seen. I mean, this is what, this is what Orwell picked up on, but, all, but most notably Huxley in Brave New World. You know, they had something for young children called erotic play uh, that, you know, this I, it doesn't give exact ages, but it's, it seems it's like, you know, three, four, five-year-olds. And they were intentionally um, encouraged by the state to uh, lose their innocence so that they could remain pliable and acquiescent to under the, the control of Soma and the, the inhibitions of their, or, or the, the fulfillment of their, of their bodily desires, you know? And so there's a, I mean, I was talking about this in our class, the class I was teaching this past Sunday that Augustine saw, so Augustine's not a conspiratorial, uh, you know, person. So it's not, a, or maybe you, you might think he is, but, you know, he saw that if you, if you debase a human being down to their sort of animalistic urges, then you have lost any ability. They have lost any ability at self-governance and which requires the intervention of someone else to actually help, help them put their lives together, you know, because the fundamental um, mark, as he would point out between animals and uh, humans is our ability to transcend our animalistic and bestial natures and actually self-deny. And so if we can begin to, to erode that at an early level, well, then all it does is help, uh, well, undermine most nefariously the, the, the Christian understanding of, of the world, but also requires the state or the, the government or whatever, whoever is in authority to come in and take responsibility um, away from you because you have lost the ability to self-govern. And so I think it, again, this is, it's all part of a whole. And I don't think it's, you know, Christian people, I've talked to someone about this the other day. We don't have to be like, think that there's this, this um, group of, of big brained people sitting behind, sitting in some hollowed out mountain somewhere in Switzerland, making all these decisions. We just have to believe that sin is real. The devil is real. And, uh, you know, sinful uh, people in possession of power will do what they can to keep it, to not use it, uh, to everyone's best interests all the time. And that's the world we live in. And so it's, you know, it's, it, it's still knowing that it's still, I have to say, very shocking to see some of these pictures, in particular, some of these three, four and five year old children who are being directed by their parents to identify as a boy or a girl or, or whatever the case may be. I mean, you know, having mothers say, well, as a mother of a you know, of a, a, a non-binary four-year-old or something. You're like, what in the world are you talking about? Um, having known many four-year-olds now, you know, it's like the, it's, they, it's kind of it's yeah, it's kind of ironic too, because you know, you know, now we're getting to get we're starting to hear stories of people who had transitioned and they they yes. realized, oh my goodness, this is a terrible this is a terrible thing. Um, the whole the whole purpose of the trans movement is and not just the trans movement but the but the lgbtq movement is to is to say okay you know your true inner self your true self is the inner self uh, disconnected with what your body may or may not be be or there's no there's a the objective pressures on you to be a certain way are all uh, superficial and false the real essential you is is within and so you've got to you've got to just 
you got to fight the the external forces around you that are trying to get you to conform to you know binary sexuality or whatever. Um, but then you know you you read the stories of these these trans people who have who've actually transitioned physically, and it was the external forces and the pressures on them. That's right. That's right. That have pushed them to mutilate their bodies or have mutilated their bodies for them. And, and, and shut down their, their natural process of their, their sexual maturity. And they've been, they have significant, their true self, their actual true self has been suppressed by this movement offering, offering freedom. It, yes. it's, it, so it's gone, it goes full circle. I mean, now you have this kind of religious view of the self that, uh, that precludes any identification of the self with the body. That's or right. with or with uh, with the sexual binary as a matter of faith as a matter of dogma and and then what it ends up doing though is then is then uh, exerting its own kind of objective external pressure on a person keeping that person from well yeah because if you detransition you know, it brings into question whether one you showed up in the first place but two whether any of it should be done to children at all which is just something that can't cannot abide and i think and i've said this before but i think a lot of the support for the entire movement comes from the fact that if that's true then nothing's true and that makes people who are mired in the actual god uh given realities of a of a non-seared conscience you know it gives them as a sense that they're actually getting away with something you know because if 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 i can support this pride month then that means that my own life of um you know faithless fornication and and deviancy or whatever the case may be which I really sometimes feel bad about, um, but I know it's not true. And it's not true because that's true. This, if this pride month is true, then I certainly should have no reason to feel bad about anything in my own life. And I think there's a, there's a vicious cycle there because as the celebrations get louder and louder, it doesn't assuage or, or absolve in any way the actual sense of, of real guilt that people are feeling. And, um, and the, only, the only actual absolution comes through um, the absolver, you know, through the proclamation, the, the acceptance of Jesus for, for your sins and outside of that, then all other um, ministrations, you know, what Paul say, you know, that which promised me life gave me death, you know, through the, this sort of setting up a system that will give us absolution, but without Christ, it just becomes more and more tragic. And I think that's, that's at least for me has been the impetus for this 20 years of dealing with these questions to maintain the, our objection to embracing this, to become quote unquote affirming um, all, all along. Cause it's not as out of a sense of wanting to cause people more harm or, or, or upset people, or it's certainly not out of a desire for any reason other than to, to recognize that what you were looking for um, through this affirmation can actually only be be found through absolution, you know, and that's that's what we have said consistently, and we'll continue to say consistently, come what may, uh, because that's that's what we have to offer this world. And you know, I'm reading more and more about not just detransitioners, but um, there's an article that I mentioned. I, I did a podcast this past week. The other one uh, that <laughs> for the church. But there was this article that I think Neil Shinvey quoted from the um, from the uh, UK Guardian. No, it wasn't the Guardian. It was the UK Times. At any rate, it was this woman who wrote a book called um, I forget the title, but I ordered it. But essentially, it was questioning the the, the benefit of the quote unquote sexual revolution for women. And, and she basically wrote this book and said, you know, in the past 50 years, the only people that have benefited from the sexual revolution are a handful of really dirty old men. You know, it's like, uh, and she mentioned Hugh Hefner in particular, but it was like, there are people beginning to say, what in the world is going on here? 
this is not working. It's not, you know, this uh, surgery that promised me joy, this uh, quote unquote freedom that said it was going to be sort of the next great thing. Uh, it has led me to a place of deep, deep and abiding despair. And, you know, that's where we are, you know, well, that's where we, we work in, in that area for the sake of, of calling people out of that um, and, and welcoming them into this, to the kingdom of God, where, you know, righteousness, peace, and joy can be found through their acceptance of their, of, of Jesus's death for them. It's like that ad campaign, which I'm told is a few years old, but I only saw the other day from Royal Dutch airlines, I believe with three sets of seatbelts, two with the, the, oh, yeah. the, 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 male ends two with the female ends and one with a regular seatbelt male and female and the ad said you know for whoever you click with and celebrating pride month and our our friend said this is you know perfect because two of them will give you the the illusion of short-term freedom and will end in your death and the other one will seem like a stricture on you but actually leads to flourishing in life amen yeah, you know, it's, going back to the, I think JD was, I don't know if you were referencing uh, Kevin DeYoung's article on this or not, but Kevin uh, DeYoung put out an article, I think last week, talking about how, you know, how the, the loudness of the parades, the the, the 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 screaming and the dancing and the gyrating, it's all, it's all, you know, it's, 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 it's something you have to quiet the conscience. And, and so, um, the, the, I wasn't, but I agree with him. <laughs> yeah. The insistence that you celebrate is, is an attempt to self-justify. You, 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 you've got, you've got to not just tolerate me. You have, you have to, uh, affirm what I'm doing because if you don't, my, my, the, the I know I'm hear my conscience. Yeah. I'm going to hear That's my, right. I'm going to hear my conscience. Right. And yes, yeah, so, somebody so, somewhere in the world disagrees with me, you know, right. what, um, and, and that's just too much. But see now, that, and then that puts the church in the position of of of, be, of bearing the brunt of the of what happens when the affirmation is not given, which is rage and anger. And I think that and, and I think that puts the church actually in the place where, uh, well, the place where Jesus was when he refused to affirm the righteousness of Israel. You know, he, he refused to he refused to say yes. The Pharisees, you guys are great. It's just you know the other ones that are horrible. And you know you you, you don't you don't need. Uh, you don't need me. Um, you don't need anyone, really. You're doing great, and uh, keep it up. And uh, wow, I'm just impressed. Um, but let me go help these these you know these sinners over here. And, you know, I think the, the thing I got Jesus killed is he refused to do that. He had to, he said to people who believe themselves or were trying to quiet their conscience by use of 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 something other than the law, the regulations over over they've spread over it they're trying to quiet their conscience by using these regulations trying to establish their own righteousness and jesus just cut right through with a knife and said no you guys you guys are sinners you probably you're, you're leaders of the bunch and as far as sin goes you need to repent um and turn to me and be forgiven and they just couldn't hear it it just that, that just mm -hmm. that that was that was that evoked rage and that's what we're facing our Christians are the, who refuse to to affirm this we're gonna we're gonna we're, we're gonna find that rage increasing I think it has begun to maybe to jump the shark but I don't you know well I don't know still that... exists inside the church right I mean we're we're seeing the sort of uh sub not subconscious but like the the pale shadows of this rage even in things like last week Justin Welby implying that it's unbiblical for African primates to refuse to come to the Lambeth conference. He's saying he's, he's evincing that anger and 
pushing it out on, on to others for actually upholding a biblical ethic. Right. I mean, John in Second John literally says, yeah. do not even greet those who bring another teaching other than what we brought and don't don't greet them don't treat them as fellow christian ministers because if you do you share in their in well their and it's a work. perfect and, so, and that's a perfect one to bring up because he was dealing with people who denied that jesus come in the flesh yeah. uh which is our defense or our our the ground of our proclamation that the body matters that god actually cares about what you do with your body and, and so on and so forth so it's a it's actually a very fitting uh place to point with respect to this argument because um, because we are we are saying something that is is uh, well the Bible is claiming something which is very offensive which provokes wrath and unbelief which in unbelievers which is that you're not God that you you were assigned uh, at birth by uh, Almighty Creator who we are at enmity with until reconciliation is brought through belief in His Son and so you know this is not something new. Although I think I was pointing out someone the other day that it's it it does feel it's unsettling for for Christians in um you know in the least places I've been working because they genuinely speaking have thought themselves to be kind and tolerant and gentle and you know winsome and all the various things and now you know even um you know what would have been uh just sort of standard Christian teaching uh, even. 10 years ago is now not only being questioned, but is actually being uh, outright uh, spoken of as the hatred, you know, as, as intolerance, as bigotry, all these things. And there people are having a really hard time processing that. And so I, you know, I think our work, we obviously have talked about this before, but has been, at least mine has been uh, really almost, almost ex not exclusively, but to a large degree concerned uh, with helping people process uh, the the newfound animus that is directed at them for holding Christian beliefs, even just privately, you know, I mean, this is, you know, they're not out there on a street corner yelling or, or protesting, but they are, are finding it very difficult to communicate and to articulate, which I think is what what we are in the process of helping, however small, equip and and encourage people to to work through these issues because the disagreement is here. You know, I mean the 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 um, opprobrium, social opprobrium levied against Christians for holding uh, traditional biblical Christian values is here, um, and our discomfort with it is not going to go away. Uh, and so, what what are we going to do when Pride Month becomes Pride Year? Um, and they just continue to add letters to right, the, 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 the community. And, you know, we're going to have to be uh, prepared for this. And I think, you know, we're doing the best we can here. But I do implore uh, Christian ministers out there, if you are not actively seeking to equip yourself personally, so then by extension, you can help the parents of young children or um, the grandparents of, you know, of unbelieving, uh, you know, people our age who who come back to thanksgiving dinners or whatever the case you know there's plenty of opportunity to get into these conversations and what is required now is humility and courage you know humility to just to, to speak gently and compassionately but courage to 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 articulate what god has given us to say and and that's not an easy task but it's one that we are all going to be called to in one way shape or form and so we pray for that and we i mean this podcast alone is one aspect of how we're hoping to to be a small part of equipping those who listen with 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 just those tools going back to the archbishop's letter for a second it's, it's, it's really a remarkable uh, letter it begins you know with the assumption that we're the church that the gathering, the Lambeth gathering is a gathering of Christian 
Christian bodies, you know, and so and 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 since the the first church council in Acts uh, Acts fifteen, the church has always met together to talk about things that are that are um, that are that they find disagreeable or they disagree with one another about, and so you know, you guys abstaining yourself, you guys boycotting uh, yourself in the church. Well, that's just not what not what Christians do. I mean, and so the assumption, of course, is that uh, TEC. And the Anglican Church in Canada, and the and the Scottish Church, and all the churches that have already, as a matter of, of legislative decision, blaspheme marriage and are pushing agendas that are leading people to hell are Christian ministers. And then the second thing is the second thing he went on to go to to, to say is he tried to equate behavior that Paul says will lead people to hell if unrepented, uh, if they don't repent, to climate change. You know, so because because in the three archbishops' letter, the three primates wrote saying we're not going to go and we don't want to sit there and talk about climate change when we actually have something, uh, we have a gospel imperative that stands between us. We have we have a big gaping chasm in our doctrine, and, and Archbishop Canterbury says, well, you know, uh, climate change is like causing a lot of poverty and stuff. So you you know you're you, you this is just as important. I can't believe that you he he went so far as to say to question their faithfulness to Christ. Because they haven't set climate change up there uh, as even more important, I think the Archbishop would say, than, than sexuality. Right, these are primates of, of of provinces where the people are being actively persecuted by, right. by militant Islam, and so <laughs> right, right. and the Archbishop of Canterbury sits there in his palace, his empty churches, um, you know, bemoaning their Christian faithfulness. It's like. Uh, it's this absurd. Is, it's a, it is quite laughable. I mean, but we've talked about that before. I mean, the, I mean, God bless him, but the Church of England is such a is such a uh, a, a non entity in the it is. Daily but I guess life I guess of, what's important, what's interesting about it, and this is what Nick was trying, I think, was maybe getting at earlier, is what's important about it is that's the tack. That's I don't think that I don't think that tack is going to be is is just something that that the Anglican Communion is, office is going to take. This is how this is how um, compromising evangelicals are going to are going to start talking compromising evangelicals in the wider evangelical world are going to start are going to do exact make exactly this move you're already starting to do it where this is a question the sexuality yes is very important we need to get together and discuss it but you know uh, i think it's i think ray or not ray orland gavin orland his son is it gavin orland ray orland's son yeah gavin orland uh has already said in a, in a one of the a book he recently wrote that that sexuality should not divide the church it's some, uh, there's Christians on the other side of this thing. Um, there's, it, it might be something we have to worship in separate spaces for, but it's not something where we want to say this person's necessarily anathema. There it is. That's, that's the Archbishop of Canterbury move right there. So and, 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 and then, then you, then you, then uh, Gavin Orland and others have shelter. They can then hide behind this idea. Oh yeah. We personally don't believe that, that you should be, um, blaspheming marriage, but you know you can believe the blaspheming marriage and still be and and still be a Christian, and then they get to take the side of the left and look look at us who say no, you can't do that actually, and further isolate further isolate isolate the Orthodox side, um, help help those who are involved in this sin quiet their conscience and make it more and more difficult for um, for Orthodoxy to win out. So. Yeah, it reminds me of that tweet that you talked about, um, you know, supposed gotcha questions that like about, well, you tweeted about the founding of the Anglican community, you know, like, oh, wait, yeah. wait, Henry VIII was a philanderer? Like, wait Whoa. a minute, wait, wait, I can't be a, 
I can't be involved in this. I mean, as if we hadn't thought about that, right? And I'm getting, I, I was using that actually analogy with a conversation with someone because, you know, as we had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, our, um, our church just was one of the churches that did not win our lawsuit against the Episcopal Church, and we are facing eviction. Uh, maybe not, but but seems likely. And so, of course, we're having these conversations uh, with some people, or at least they're getting secondhand to me. Um, you know, uh, have you considered this? Have you considered, you know, basically, have you have you thought like maybe it's not as big a deal as you're making it? Have you yeah. thought about? It? And I was like, oh. Oh wait! Like yes, yes, we have. Uh, yes, have you we have considered, considered that love this. is love, JD. You, yeah, I mean, but no, but people ask these things. You know, it's like yeah. the old gotcha question we talked about. You know, like, well, what if your daughter came out of the closet? You know, as if, and then like drop the mic and back away, and yes. then watch their head. It's like, well, we've thought about this and we've considered yes. it, and so. So I would answer to um, to whoever was saying that. Would you say Gavin Ortland or whatever they? Um, yeah. I mean, I haven't read the book, so but I trust you. You are quoting him appropriately, saying that um, we have considered these things. We have uh, looked at the ramifications. We have um, read the um, counter arguments. We have made a biblically informed, uh, determined conviction, uh, convicted stance that this is in fact the place where we have to stand. Like this is the issue of our time. This is the place. This is the Aryan controversy of our age, um, you know, analogously. And, you know, um, Archbishop Cranmer and the other reformers, you know, some people I'm sure were imploring them, like it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, you know, they're going to, they're going to burn you at the stake. If you could just, can't you just, you know, agree to disagree with the sort of interlocutors about um, the nature of the Eucharist. And for them, that was a, um, a place to stand. That was, that was a bridge too far. And so, you know, there are people who will not understand. Um, hopefully they're not in Christian leadership because the people who are in Christian leadership who have been entrusted with and called by God himself to to shepherd his people through uncertain uh, or, or sort of confusing times have in fact considered this question and, and have made um, uh, both provision and sacrifice for the maintenance of the gospel. Because at the end of the day, this is the, the fundamental call to the world is Jesus's own, repent and believe. And um, it cuts deeply, but it raises to new life by faith. And this, um, this is something that the church is going to, we're going to find out, ironically, with the archbishop, what true Christian discipleship and faithfulness looks like under in adverse conditions in ways that those, those um, blessed primates from, the, from Africa have uh, endured their entire lives. And yet they're joyfully holding out the only hope the world has ever known, namely the gospel, in the face of a secularizing and cynical, quote unquote, church in a way that um, I take great comfort from and look forward to uh, maintaining that relationship uh, well after the Church of England ceases to, to exist in any, in any less meaningful way as, as could be imagined um, than it does now. Well, that's a good word. We will be um, praying for those who are celebrating Pride Month that they would come to a repentant faith and understand that humility and confession is where we need to be. Um, we're just about out of time this week, but we did have a couple of housekeeping items that we wanted to make our listener aware of. Matt, you're going to be traveling for, your, for a few weeks. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? We'll be out of the country. That's all I can say. Oh, <laughs> Wow. Is that a CIA mission or what? <laughs> I'm sworn to secrecy until we get back. 
All right. Well, that was anticlimactic. JD, you have an announcement too. I do. Um, I have uh, recently, with great gratitude and humility, been called to be the next rector of St. Luke's uh, Church in Hilton right. Head, South Carolina. So I am. Um, Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. Yay. Awesome. And you guys would be happy to know that they specifically mentioned this podcast, among other uh, <laughs> sort of uh, offerings that I've done as as a defense and of their choice. <laughs> so I thought you were going to say despite. I, yeah. Well, I, one of the I, I sort of assumed that would be the case, and I nevertheless, you know, endeavored to. Um, so they were fully aware with their eyes open or ears open, uh, as it were. And we have had a wonderful, um, lengthy, but very um, comprehensive uh, discernment process. And it has uh, culminated in a, in a deep sense of, of joy and excitement about the move. Of course, we're, we're bittersweet is leaving a, um, a healthy and joyful ministry position always is. And so the time at Christ Church uh, with Ted Duvall and, and the staff there has been um, life-giving and blessed and an, an amazing blessing and, and would be a great fit if any listener, if our listener out there knows, you know, someone that, that uh, would, would, cause I don't know what their plans are to, uh, to, to replace me or, or whatever the case may be. But at any rate, I can say that working at Christ church and serving alongside Ted uh, was one of the greatest joys of my life. And so um, that being said, we are excited about the next chapter and look forward to um, inviting you all down to speak when it's 40 below zero, uh, as it seems to always <laughs> be in Binghamton. <laughs> and it's, and it's uh uh, you can come down to the beach and um, and uh, give us a, a talk, Matt and Nick. So, yeah. But thank you all. Thank you uh, for your um, support and prayerful encouragement. Uh, and we look forward to um, seeing what the Lord has in store. Amen. Well, our congratulations and prayers go with you. Uh, thank you to our listener for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Although Matt won't, we'll have to figure out what we're doing, actually. Uh, until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Standing firm.